0: Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Let's it together. We get to, we get to. It sounds like a marketing speak, doesn't it? It's like, it's like what we used to do when we used to like when we when we first got this building. Um, we stopped calling them working nights and we called them work parties. <laughs> Let me tell you, there wasn't much of a, much of a party about it. Uh, not in my eyes, anyway. Some of you guys were coming with the paintbrushes, loving it. I was there like, I get to. <laughs> we we get to. I, I, if it comes to DIY, I am, I am not your guy, and that rhymes. Um, but we came and uh, it, it was this marketing. I, I like the spin of it, work parties. Um... But I tell you what, those work parties are the reason you sat here today. And, um, you know, two guys, three guys doing work parties on themselves on Saturday um, make a big difference. But we get to. I want you to know while I, I guess, reference the idea that it might sound like marketing speak, the reality is our language is so important, isn't it? Our language makes a big difference. I can remember, uh, I think it, it must have been before we had any of the kids. And at that time, I was... Um, Leading worship, and I want you to know you might think it looks really like glamorous being on the worship team, but they are probably the busiest team in church. Um, practice every week, they get here really early on a Sunday morning, and oftentimes the last to leave on a Sunday as well. And then they go around the campuses as well. So our worship team are great, aren't they? We, we love them. And, uh, but I was on worship team at the time, I was leading the youth, and also I uh, wanted to start something for 18 to 30, so we had something called the Meet and Place. And then on top of that, it was Christmas time. And for us guys, Christmas is really, really busy. And I can remember being in this season, and honestly, it was probably the first time in my life, thinking about it now, I must have been 24, 25. It was probably the first time in my life where I felt drained. I felt a bit burnt out. Um, and I look back now and I, I vocalise it like that. I didn't at the time. But I was just going through the most, I was like, I'm just so tired. You know, when you get like that, I was pr- probably out um, doing stuff or leading like five out of seven nights of the week. We were doing Sunday morning and Sunday night at that time, weren't we, Christine? Some of us remember that. So Field Mill, what we used to do at Field Mill, when we pioneered what's happening here today, we used to do Sunday morning. So as the worship team would be there from 8.30, I can't remember what time it was, and then we 'd go home, have dinner, and come back at like four thirty to set everything up because obviously we couldn 't leave the stuff up at field mill, and then we 'd be there till eight o 'clock um, and, and that was that was just what we did, but I was just got into this season, and this I just started to feel a bit burned out burnt out I started to feel a bit weary in doing good if i 'm being really honest now i vividly remember this, even though it 's uh, eight years ago. I remember this one night we were going out to the meeting place, which was our eighteen to thirties, a ministry that we were setting up and pioneering at the time, and I can remember thinking, I do not want to do this tonight. And I went up into my room because I was going to interview someone that night or whatever, into our spare room, and I was just drained. I was just tired, and I just I just kneeled, I think probably before God, and just said, God, like I need some some help here. Uh, you know, I just I just need to be filled again, and then this. This uh, phrase came into my head: "Of it's a privilege to serve Jesus. It's a privilege to serve Jesus." And and all of a sudden, I just began to confess it. It's a privilege to serve Jesus. It's a privilege to serve. I continued to confess it, and let me tell you, my attitude changed in a second because my confession had changed. <laughs> The situation hadn't changed, but my confession had changed. So my outlook on the situation changed. And that's why words are so important. What we say is so important. It's not we've got to come to church on a Sunday morning. We get to come to church on a Sunday morning. And the reality is, if you feel like you're dragged here on a Sunday morning, you, and, and you're a follower of Jesus, you probably need to sort your own head out, to be fair. Because the church, come on, this is the place where we encounter God as a group of people. This is the place where, for me... In all my years of coming to church, it's never been hard to come on a Sunday morning. Because I love to meet with the people of God. I love to worship God together. I love to come into this atmosphere of faith and praise. Anybody else? I love to do that. We get to. Our confession makes all the difference. Proverbs 18 verse 21, before you start accusing me of this being a leadership talk says this, by the way, pretty much all Bible is leadership and discipleship at the same time. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. I want you to know today that your confession matters. How you see something, your perspective, what you say about something, your words, they're so powerful. They can bring life and death into a situation. And when we speak the word of God, there's a double whammy. It's something that we call the rhema word. When God makes, the word, when, when God makes his word real and then you speak it out, there's power in that. There is so much power in that. The tongue, on, on the tongue there is life and death. Now, what the world tries to do with the things of the Bible is take the principle and take God out of it. Is that right? So what you'll hear a lot in my generation is, I'm just going to send good vibes to the universe, and the universe will send good vibes to me. How's that working out for you? (laughs) Uh, Someone was saying that to... uh, I was hearing about a situation where someone was saying that, yeah, I'm going to send good vibes to the universe, but their life was a mess. You can send all the good vibes you want. But let me tell you, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it doesn't make a difference. The reason that our confession matters so much is because we get ourselves so in a mess at times in our lives that our perspective is wrong. Our perspective becomes here, it becomes down, but God's saying, lift up your eyes to the hills where comes your strength. So when we lift our eyes up, we begin to confess his word and his word is truth. I hope you know sometimes that, that the way you see the world is not perfect. The way you see your situation is not perfect. We get, we get bogged down a bit sometimes, don't we? Is that fair to say? Yeah. We can get a bit negative. We can get a bit downcast. We can get a bit that way in our lives. So what we have to do is we have to confess the word of God because the word of God is truth. So our phrase for the year, we get to, it has the power to be a catalyst for great change. It's not we've got to, we get to. A key verse for this series is found in John 2 verse 17 and in Psalm 69 verse 9. And it says this, For zeal for your house consumes me. Now, you might not know uh, what zeal means, but another, another version says, Passion for your house, it consumes me. What are you consumed by? What are you consumed by? That, that is the greatest question. If you want to know... What you consume by, ask yourself these questions. Where does your time go and where does your money go? You'll find out pretty quick where, you, where you're consumed. That's why the tithe is so important. Because my money follows my heart. And my heart is in this place. My heart is the house of God. Passion for your house consumes me. David actually in Psalm 69, it doesn't quote it in John 2. David goes on to say uh, something like, I've got it written down here. He says, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Have you ever had that, like, you can say something about your, your family, but if anyone else says something about your family, they're in big trouble. That's what it's like with the house of God. Yeah. Don't let people bag the house of God. This is, this is God's house. This is where, where we go. This is our family. This is our people. We're not going to let people bring this place down. People say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can be a Christian without church. No, you can't. No, you cannot. Because if you love Jesus, you love his house. Passion for your house, it consumes me. Passion for your house, it consumes me. So, if you want to live this passionate life, passionate for Jesus, I've never known a Christian who's on course with God who doesn't go to church. Never known it. Because God didn't make it in isolation, did he? What did God say in Genesis? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So, what we have to do is we have to find community. We are born for community. We are made for connection with God and with people. That's why this is so important. Why? God himself is not even on his own, is he? Three in one. So if God doesn't be on his own, then why do we think we can do it on our own? Ludicrous. So today I want to speak about this whole idea of we get together. We get together. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church. I want to build a church where we're passionate for his house, where we make his house a priority of our lives, where we make the gathering a priority. We get to gather. One of the things that COVID took from us, as we all know, is the ability to gather. Literally took it from us, didn't it? Stripped the the ability to gather. We were banned from gathering. Now, You can make all sorts of conclusions about that, but I'll tell you what the enemy wants to do. He wants to divide us and he wants to keep us apart from each other. Because if you've ever been through a tough part in your life and you've done it in isolation, it's really hard to get out because you've got no one to pull you out. But I find this, that when I'm in the house of God together, when I'm around people who love me and encourage me, actually what they'll say is, Josh, come on, you're better than that. You're more than that. You don't have to live like that. But when you do it on your own, there's no one to do that. You're just alone with your own thoughts and your own feelings. And a lot of the time, that is a bad place to be. <clears throat> it wasn't just church, was it? It was, it was everything. It was being with people, having family parties. You know, can you remember that Christmas? How bad that Christmas was, anybody? That was horrible, wasn't it? You know, where we weren't able to see people and be with people. And some people, even Louise Richardson, I don't know if she's here, but... You know, Andy locked her in her room, all on her own. No, no, she, she <laughs> Andy, uh, Louise, bless her, because she, she was in the like the vulnerable category. She had to stay in her room for for weeks. And I know there's other people around here who had to do similar things. And um, is there any wonder that we saw so many relationships break down? So people's mental health struggled so much in that time. It's no wonder. And uh, uh, outside of COVID, as we've come out, I think people have become more insular, more, um, more prone to being the centre of their own world. Um, it, it's all about me. It's all about my feelings. I, you've seen this in society where society's quite polarising at the moment. Where you know you either have this view or this view, and if you don't have this view, you know silence is violence, which is the most stupid statement ever. When the Bible says that. Uh, Wise people have few words. Um, So silence isn't violence, by the way. Um, Silence is wisdom. That's the word of God. But society has become polarised and people... Because the thing is about groups and the thing is about being with people is that if you want to live in community, you have to lay down a bit of yourself. You can't have your own way all the time in community. It's impossible. You can't do it because... Just take it to the simplicity of a, of a meal with friends. There has to be some agreement on what takeaway you're going to eat. Now, with me, it's pretty easy because I like every takeaway. So you can come and say, pizza, that's fine. You're my best friend. You can say, Chinese, that's cool. That's okay with me. You can say, Indian, yeah, let's go for it. But do you see what I'm saying? You know, it's like the whole thing of if you've ever tried to organise a holiday with friends or with family, like, you have to die a bit to yourself, yeah? Someone wants to go this place, and wants to go that place, and wants to do this, someone wants to do that. That's, to be honest, why we always get a spare car when we go now, (laughs) if we go with people. But the reality is, if we want to live in community, there has to be a dying to self. And I said to Helen, uh, just this last Christmas coming up, because we used to have a few things in the calendar where we'd have a bigger event or a a bigger gathering of our friends and people around. And they'd gone in 2020 and 2021. And the question was, are we going to do it again? I said, Helen, we need to fight for the bigger gatherings. We need to fight for gatherings where we gather people together where we're we're with people, not just with a couple of people all the time, but where we're with more people because that's so important to do that. It's so important. So we need to fight for these gatherings around us and we need to fight for the gathering here in the house of God. And am I allowed to be honest this morning? Is that okay? I'm allowed to be really honest this morning. Through COVID... And after COVID, I think church became less of a priority and more just a part of what I was doing. And I think as we've come out of COVID at times, it's been hard for some people to come back to the house of God. It's been hard for people to put that priority back on the house of God. And that's not true for many of us. I know that. I know many of us prioritize it. I can remember the 30 of us who were here that first Sunday morning when it opened up and it was hard and it was awkward and it was weird for sure. Weren't allowed to sing. I mean, I don't, I'll never do that again. You look back now, don't you? You just think, I will never do that stuff again, some of that stuff, but we were trying to do the right thing. But coming out of COVID, it's been a bit like church is just a part of my monthly schedule. I go to church once a month and I'll sort of tip my hat to God and I'm doing the nice Christian thing. But I don't know about you. I want to be more than that. I want the church of God to be a priority in my life. I don't just want it to be a part of my schedule. I don't want it to just be like, oh, I'll go to Tesco this Sunday or I'll go, I'll go to Meadowhall this Sunday and then I'll go to church this Sunday. No, I want the church to be the priority. I want the house of God to be a priority in my life. I don't want it to just be an event I come to on a Sunday. I don't want to just be a consumer where I come in take a bit and then I leave. No, I want this to be the place where my family flourishes and grows because in Psalms it says, doesn't it, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. If there's any flourishing that's come from my life, it's from being planted in the house of God. I look at people who's who's planted, I look at Andy's family who have been planted in the house of God their entire lives and they're flourishing. I look at Nathan's mum and dad, John and Angela who aren't here they're on their 15th holiday for the year. If you're listening, hi. (laughs) But they've been planted in the house and they've flourished. I look at the Hudson's, planted in the house and the family are flourishing. If we want our families to flourish, if we want our kids to get hold of this thing called the house of God, we have to make it a priority, don't we? Because what will happen is this, our kids and our grandkids, they will will look on and they will see what we prioritise and they'll love what we love. I've seen it in my own kids already. My own kids are like seven, five, and two. They love what I love. My little boy yesterday at football, he, he's, um, he, he's going to a thing at the moment where you know uh, coaches are looking at him in different things on a, on a Friday night and, and we had words in on, on the car on Friday night on the way home because dad was like, look, I, I like the stuff. I like that you want to score goals. I, I like that you want to do the nice stuff, but there's a base requirement when you're in this family and it's that you work hard. You have to work hard. You have to put the work in. There's one place where we'll never get beaten. You might get beaten in talent. You might get beaten in skill. But you won't get beaten in working hard. And he wasn't working hard. So yesterday he had a match and, and I was refing. And every time he did something good, he kept looking over, like, for dad's approval. Because he's showing me that he's working hard. He's showing me that he's doing something good. He loves what I love, yeah? He wants to do what I value. I don't know about you, but I want to I want to be like I want to model that to my kids. I want to model that love for the house to my kids. I want to model that um, priority for the house to my children. And it's so important. Hebrews 10.24 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that. Let us, how many of us consider how we uh, spur each other on to love and good deeds? Not many of us consider that. That would be a good thing for us to consider, but this is what I want to look at. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. Come on, Arena. It's time for us not to pull back from the gathering, but to step in for the gathering. The very thing our world needs right now is the gathered church, where they can come and be encouraged, where we can encourage each other in love and in joy and in peace and in patience and in kindness. The The world at the moment, it needs the church. The world needs this community. What did Jesus say? He says, they will know you by the way you love each other. The world needs this. I don't know about you, but I go into the world. I don't see love. I don't see joy. I don't see peace. I don't see contentment. What I see in the world at the moment is pain. I see division. I see hurt. People need the love and the encouragement of this gathering. Have you ever come in here on a Sunday morning, felt a bit downcast and walked out completely different? I have. That's happened to me so many times. Because there's something about the faith that comes together when we come together and we say, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to worship you. We listen to the word of God. We get together. And while I might be down, someone else I can guarantee is going to be up that morning. And they're going to help lift me up and they're going to help encourage me into the person and into the place I want to be. Now is not the time for us to forsake the gathering. It's time for us to continue to build and to grow. So this brings me to my first point, and it's this, that the gathering is where we are filled up. The gathering's where we're filled up. As it says in Hebrews 10, when we get together, we encourage each other. We lift each other. See, we live in a world where most of us are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Is that correct? In most cases, we we live in, in situations where not everyone knows Jesus. Not everyone is living the way that we want to live as followers of Jesus. And that can be hard at times. It can be hard being an influence. It can be oppressive at times. I've worked in office environments where literally you come away at the end of the day emotionally drained from what people have been saying and what's been going on in that place. And I can see people nodding because you've been there as well. We can be surrounded by this darkness at times. And this is why gathering is so important because it's the key place where God fills us, where God equips us so that we are ready to be sent out. I want you to know that church is not for Sunday. Church is to equip us for Monday. It's really easy to be a follower of Jesus today, isn't it? In this environment, it's easy to lift your hands. It's easy to pray. It's easy to do all that stuff. But tomorrow morning, that's when the battle is won. When we go into that workplace, when we go into that school, when we go into that environment where everybody around us is not a Christian, that's when we need to let our light shine. Jesus said, I am going to make you a city on a hill, so shine. It's really hard to shine if you've not been fueled up to go out, when you've not been sent to shine. I think that's really hard. So Sunday is this time when we come together, where, of course, we get ministry, where we are filled up, where we're encouraged, where we experience peace and love and joy of this place, when when we're encouraged in passion to go and live for Jesus, and we're filled up. And we're fueled up to win the week to be poured out. To be poured out. And of course, in the context of all this, there's our daily disciplines where we help fill ourselves up. But being really honest, we, we have to have the church in the mix of that to keep filling us up. And most of us saw that when we had a year or so off through COVID. We come together in unity, one heart and one mind. There isn't the battle that there can be when we're in the place of work or when we're in that tough family environment. This is a place where we come to be filled. I don't know about you, but I need to come to church. I need to be in this environment. There's something special when the people of God come together in unity. There's a freedom, there's a love, There's that's unique, I believe, to the gathering of believers. When we make the gathering a priority, when we come with regularity, when we serve and when we give and we build relationships, we are encouraged. We're filled up. The next thing is this. Are you still with me? The gathering is where we bring. The gathering is where we bring. Luke 14 verse 23. Listen to this. Then the master told his servant, go out, this is Jesus speaking, he's telling a parable. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. While we may believe and we know that people can receive salvation anywhere. That's true, yeah? People can receive salvation anywhere. I remember praying the prayer of salvation as probably a five-year-old boy. still remember it vividly. remember the color of the carpet in the toilet where I prayed it. It was like a blue. Why did we have... We used to have carpets in toilets all the time. Um, I don't know Why? And um, I can remember praying the prayer of salvation in the toilet with my mum. I remember it. Now, that was the overflow of Sunday, by the way. But we can come to God anywhere. We know that. We can receive salvation anywhere. But the reality is the majority of people will make their decision to follow Jesus in the atmosphere of the gathered church. And I believe that's the best place for them to make a decision. Because if they just make a decision with you at work, then it's all on you. If they just make a decision uh, in the isolation of home after they've watched something which is awesome, it's still all on them. But in the church, there's a, a structure. There's people that will encourage. There's people who will come beside them. We've got the guys at the back who'll pray, who'll give a Bible, who'll lead them in those first steps, which is so important, aren't they? I believe when Jesus was speaking about that parable of the um, of the, uh, the seed that was sown. He was talking about some that's sown on hard ground and some that's sowed in fertile ground and some that get snatched up. I believe the church is fertile ground. I believe the church is fertile ground for people to come to know Jesus because there we can disciple, and there we can help, and there we can bring them in. The reality is this, that most of us are unequipped to lead someone to Jesus in the street or in the office, But what we can do is invite them to church and we can walk with them on their discipleship journey. Now, I'm sure there's a minority of people in here that this is your gift and you're great at that and that's cool. But there's people here who've been followers of Jesus 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years who may have never led anyone to Jesus outside of church. So before we push back on that, I believe the best thing that we can do is bring them into the house of faith. I believe the best thing that we can do is to bring them in to the gathered church. I've heard it over and over when people come into this church who aren't from a faith background. They say, oh, there's just something about this place. Have you ever heard that? There's just something about it. Or or the atmosphere here is, is different. And what they're conveying is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to people's hearts, but they just don't understand it. I I want to tell you, atmospheres are so important, aren't they? You know, sometimes you can walk into a place that feels so oppressive and you think, I've got to get out of this. And sometimes you walk into a place and you say, I just want to stay here forever. We know that these people, the best place for them to come and get to know Jesus is here. And like it says in Luke 14, our responsibility is not to do the saving. That's Jesus' responsibility. Our responsibility is to compel them to come in so that that his house may be full. But if we aren't here, then how can we bring? There are people I want you to know all around us in our world who are just waiting for an invite and we don't even realize it. I remember when I first started working in a small office, it was, um, yeah, it sort of, it, it was like my, my first proper job, I guess, um, maybe my second proper job, but I, I remember going into this office and, you know, there was a lot of, all stuff that happens in offices, there was a lot of bravado in there, there was a lot of all this stuff, um, a lot of banter, a lot of stuff going on, and I can remember praying for this office and praying and praying, and and um, over the course of about three years, everyone in that office came to church apart from one. Um, there was only one other person in the office, but you didn't get the joke. <laughs> 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 thanks, for the, thanks for laughing, Lynn. <laughs> no, but over that time, like nine of them in the families decided, ended up coming to church. And they were all blown away by the service. Actually, they had more respect after they came than they did before they came which is interesting, isn't it? And before COVID, they were sort of regularly coming to special events at church, many of them. The point is this. On my first day in that office, on my 50th day in that office, I probably thought these guys, they've got no desire. They do not care about church. But I want you to know people are very interested in what you do here on a Sunday morning. People are just waiting for that invitation to come along, to be brought. Those people in your life, those people in your world, those people in your oikos, as we've spoken about before, which basically means the, the, the influence in the world in which you live and where you are. The point is this. On the face of it, it might seem that people are pretty much against what your faith and the, they might make jokes because maybe you don't drink or, or your, your speech is clean or whatever. But I want you to know they're waiting for an invite. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So if Jesus said it, it must be true, hey? The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. When we bring, we don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be the perfect human. You don't have to have the the three-point presentation that outlines Jesus' death and resurrection perfectly. You just need to ask, why don't you come and see it for yourself? Come on, church, let's compel those around us to come in so that his house might be full. And the final thing is this, that the gathering is powerful. The gathering is powerful. Acts 2 verse 1 to 4 says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now this sounds like this huge event, this huge conference, where there's loads of people and everybody's fired up and everybody's ready to go. The reality is this, they'd be meeting each day for a prayer meeting, and this happened on the back of the practicality of um, elevating someone else to leadership. There was only 120 people in that place, probably similar number to here today. But because of their consistency, because they kept showing up, God breathed on it. God did something. He poured out his spirit and people were changed. And because of that, you and I today, we have communion with the Holy Spirit. Because of that gathering at that moment, we get to live in Pentecost. See, the gathered church is powerful. When the people of God come together to seek God, he always does something. Now, you're sat here today, you're thinking, yeah, but Josh, you know, we, I've not seen someone get healed on the front row. God does it in a different way to what you see. You might not see it all. You might, in your perspective of this service today, you might think, yeah, it was just an okay service. But I want to tell you, because of my perspective of this service, every single week, without fail, someone comes up and normally multiple people, how God's spoken to them, how God's done something in their life, or someone's been saved, or someone's been healed, or God's broke through in a situation. I want to tell you, these things are happening week in, week out. It's just if you're open to see it. I mean, we prayed for, I hope it's okay saying, but we prayed for um, Tom Chandler, um, Phil and Zelia Chandler's son a few weeks ago in pre-service prayer and it looked dire. He was in ICU at the time. It did not look good. I can't see Phil and Zelia. Maybe. Oh, oh, hey Zelia, hey Phil. And um, it looked really bad, didn't it guys, at the time? And um, we prayed in pre-service prayer and what, by like two days it just changed, hadn't it? It changed in an instant and I was having a coffee just last week. This was, you know, like 10 days maybe after this. And I saw Tom and you couldn't tell there was a problem with him. If you're open to see it, you'll see and you'll perceive what God's doing. The Bible says this in the Old Testament. He says, God says, do you not perceive it? See, I am doing a new thing. Our perception is so important. Our perception is so important Now, do we want to see more? Yes, we do. I hope we do. We want to see more. We want to see God continuing to pour more out. We want to see more healing. We want to see more salvation. We want to see more people get set free. We want to see more people have miraculous uh, transformations in their character, in their behavior, in their minds, whatever it may be. We want to see more. We desire more. But please, let's perceive what God's doing now. Let's perceive and let's see what he's doing. How people are being set free, how people are being saved, how people are being delivered. We look throughout the gospel gospels, and Jesus loved to gather. And in Acts two, it shows us that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to a few things, but one of those things they devoted themselves to, they gathering. They devoted themselves to the gathering, and this church went from 120 on the day of Pentecost to a number that couldn't even be counted within a few weeks, I think it was like by Acts 8, they just stopped counting. They just stopped counting. There was one service where the whole city went. I mean, that must have been a good service. The whole city went to one service. I believe, Jesus said this, greater things than these you will do. So I'm still believing, Jesus, that you're gonna do more than we can ask or imagine. I'm still believing that we're gonna see things that we've never seen before. Is anybody else believing for that? That's what I'm believing for as we continue to make the gathering a priority in our lives. In, in this Acts 2 church, people were constantly saved. People were constantly healed. People were constantly set free. And while we're seeing some of this, we aren't seeing all of it. But I want you to know God wants us to step into the more that he has for us. You do know, don't you, that God's more bothered about uh, the people of Mansfield than we are. You know that, yeah? So what God's looking for is a group of people who will partner with him who will make him the priority, who will make his church the priority and will step in and take hold of that for which he has taken hold of for us. But this only comes as we treat the gathering with the respect and with the reverence that it deserves. It won't happen if it's just a a small part of the rest of our lives. It will happen as we make his house, the church of Jesus, as it's a priority. In Matthew 13, 58, we see that Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because of their handling of who Jesus was, because of their perception of who Jesus was. It says they had a lack of faith. It was their contempt for Jesus. They didn't give him the honour he deserved. They were saying, oh, isn't it just Jesus? Mary and Joseph's son, don't we know his brother James and... Jesus had started to do miracles and they had reasoned a move of God away because of their perception of who Jesus was. What does that tell me? It tells me that you and me can stop God moving. If we don't get out of the way, if we, if we come with the wrong motives and the wrong perception, if we just make it as part, God himself says, doesn't he he says, I, I'm a jealous God. I'm reading through the Old Testament at the moment and you see how much God is looking for the adoration of his people. He's looking for our heart's devotion. He's looking for our heart's attention. He's looking for our heart's focus. Matthew 6.33, it shows us that. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. The problem is we seek the things first and then we want to add God in. It doesn't work like that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. Let's not stop the power of God moving in Mansfield because we don't, have, don't come with faith, because, because we're just going through the motions, because church is just a bit part of our lives rather than a priority. I think of Evan Roberts, who was the leader of the Welsh Revival, who prayed for 11 years. Imagine how many services Evan Roberts went to where revival didn't break out. Imagine how many services he went to where he felt like nothing happened. Imagine how many times he woke up and thought, is this really going to happen? 11 years he prayed, day after day after day. God, do something. God, break out. God, come on, you can do it. I know you can do it. It might have seemed to him that nothing was happening, but so much was happening in the heavenlies. And one evening service, it was a night service. I think it was a youth service. Evan got up to pray. And I don't even think he could say a word. I think that's correct. I might be wrong. And the Spirit of God was poured out in one of the most powerful ways we've ever seen on planet Earth since the day of Pentecost. It was a move of God that changed the fabric of Wales forever. My mum and dad went to Wales a couple of years ago on holiday and they went into a pub on a Friday night. Um, And what was happening? They were singing hymns to God in a pub on a Friday night still. 60, 70 years later this move of God changed the fabric of Wales. I did some look, uh, research into it a few years ago and uh, the football the football uh, sort of records of the day, it, it listed the uh, who won the cup, who won the league. And in that year, I can't remember what year it was, 19, I can't remember, I'm not even gonna guess. And it says, just that year, it says revival. People weren't even bothered about the football and these things because... God had so broken in. Can you imagine what that would be like today? God had broken him. I want you to know that if we'll treat the church with the reverence and the honour that it deserves, if we'll gather with faith and with expectation, God will move with power. This gathering has the potential to shake the very foundation of this town as we come like they did in Acts, with one heart, and one mind, to seek our God, to honour our God. Didn't Jesus say himself, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to it myself. As we honour our God, his power will be manifest in more amazing ways among us. We will see the sick healed. We will see the bound set free. We will see the lost found. And we will see Jesus glorified in our people and in our time. David said this, he said, I am confident of this. Psalm 27, I think it is. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I don't know about you, but I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want to see the goodness of the Lord in my time. I want to see it. I want to see it before my, with my very, very own eyes. I want to see something like Wales. I want to see something like what happened in Azusa Street. I want to see it here in Mansfield. Is anybody else? I want to see it here among us. And it will happen as we come with, with, and we make God's house a priority. We get together. It's a privilege. Let's renew our hearts again.